Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What it do, baby? It's the Preachers and Seekers podcast. Back at it again with another episode. Hopefully make you laugh and think at the same time. On today's episode, I interviewed my good Hollywood buddy, Nate Bozolich. Nate is an Australian-based actor and has played large roles in series like The Vampire Diaries, The Originals, and movies like, uh, uh, I almost said Shawshank Redemption, Hacksaw Ridge, and most recently Deep Blue Sea 3. So super interesting, super diverse, talented guy. Uh, And if you follow him on Instagram, it's very quickly evident that he is super radical and bought in to his faith. And so he was kind enough to come on the podcast and talk about his faith, talk about his experience, you know, his conversion experience from Passion Conference, going to Iraq, going to Israel, and his time in Hollywood. Super interesting and he's super kind, humble guy. Uh, and he also has a super silky smooth Australian accent. So uh, even if you don't get anything else out of the podcast, you can at least enjoy him uh, saying things in an Australian accent. So a uh, big shout out to Nate for spending the time with me. I was super grateful to talk with him. And I think you'll be inspired and hopefully challenged at the same time. Today's episode of the Preachers and Seekers podcast is brought to you by the Hidden Figures podcast, my new project with Justice Marimi, where we talk all about generating wealth how to steward it, and how to feel good about it. If that kind of thing interests you, head on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the Hidden Figures Podcast. Leave a rating and a review if you feel so led. Also, if you haven't subscribed to the Preaching the Seekers Podcast, also head on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and share with your friends and enemies. I really appreciate when everybody does that. It's huge for being boosted in the algorithm since that's... uh, basically what controls everything in 2020. So thanks so much for doing that. 
Okay, enough of the jibber-jabber. Let's get into my conversation with Nate Bozolich. Okay, God brought me to a place. I became a Christian. It was through Passion City Church, ultimately, and Passion Conference, where I started that journey. But that just started my journey. It, it wasn't until God got me onto a dusty field in Iraq where I was by myself and I was at rock bottom where I really surrendered myself to him. What were you doing in Iraq? Oh, bro, long story, long story, bro. I guess we could maybe talk about it on the, um, on the, I don't know if we've even started this, this podcast. If this is, no, we haven't, I've, I've been recording the whole thing just so I don't miss anything, yeah. but we are not officially. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> so man, I was, um, like, you know, I was a Christian, I, you know, I was, I, I, and I guess in that Christian system, when you first become a Christian and you're like, okay, this is what Christianity is. And it's the mega church thing. And everything I know about Jesus is everything I've heard on a Sunday. That's as far as it's gotten. And that's as, as, that's as deep of a, deep as I've gone. I feel like I'm in a, you know, I, call, I consider myself a Christian. I claim to be a Christian. I was dating a Muslim girl from Paris and we were together for three years. That's and a I movie found- in itself. Yeah, right. She was, be- I mean, she was beautiful. She's like one of those girls. We were at dinner one night and um, Jessica Alba was just staring at my girlfriend the whole time. Shut up. She- yeah, but this is true stories, right? This is this is Nathaniel Bozolich's life from from rags to riches and then back to rags. But um, Jessica Alba came up to my girlfriend. She goes, you're the most beautiful woman I've seen. And I was like, Jessica Alba's just talking <laughs> to my girlfriend. Okay, awesome. You know, that's, um, that's tight. That's yeah. I mean, that's you know, she was beautiful. Is like, it she in LA just- or is this in Paris? This was in LA. She had come to visit me in LA, but um, towards the end of 2016, um, my whole world got rocked because she was cheating on me the whole time. You know, name a celebrity that the world you know may know, and she's probably either talked to them, been with them, or whatever. And I was just nah, fam. I'm not doing yeah. that, bro. Oh, broke me, man. Broke. I'm me. sorry. I mean, that is like that. might that's such a crushing thing. Like, I cannot imagine that. Bro. Unfaithfulness is is a hard thing because especially when you sort of start beginning to understand God's definition of love, you know, through sacrifice and commitment and loyalty and faithfulness. So when you have that non, when you have the false version of love, it stings, it hurts. And I was, man, yeah. I was, I was, I was in a very, very deep and dark depression, you know, as you should have been, yeah, I would su- burn the city to the ground. Yeah. I was, I was suicidal on some sense into the point where I was like, I'm, I don't want to kill myself because I, I'm just, I have that personality type where I hate giving up on things. But at the same time, I was like saying to God, like if I die, if I get hit by a car, if, if, you know, someone shoots me or whatever, I'm, I don't care. I'm done. I'm out God. I'm so out of this. Um, yeah. And I was, I was shooting on originals completely in the deepest depression I've ever been in. And I remember um, watching everything was sort of unfolding with the the war in Syria, the civil war, Aleppo was getting bombed every single day. It was just yep. carnage. And I remember watching this. I was in the Marines uh, at the time. So were, were you? Hearing, yeah. We were hearing about the same things. Yeah. Right. So I was just like, I was just shocked, man. I was just, and I remember that there was a one video that I watched one morning and it was, um, this young boy, I believe his name was Umran, and he was in the back of an ambulance. He was just like covered in dust and blood, and and he put his hands on the back of this ambulance, and he touched the thing, and he saw that he put blood on the seat, and he felt like you could see his self-conscious that he got the seat dirty, and my heart broke for this kid, and I was like, this is horrible. Like, here I am. Girl cheated on me, and there's this child who is going through the absolute brokenness of this world. And what hope does he have? And I said, you know what? 
I'm going to do something about this. Um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to go to Iraq. I'm going to, you know, support an organization or just do something, do something radical. So I started searching for organizations that I could maybe support or help or whatever. And I found, um, I think Louis Giglio spoke once about this organization called Preemptive Love that same yep. week. Yeah. So I, I reached out to Preemptive Love. I was like, hey, guys, I'm wondering Is if I can come that one guy, out. he wrote a book or something? Yeah, uh, Jeremy Courtney. Yeah, yeah. I followed yes. him. So I reached, out to, I reached out to him. I said, hey, can I come out to Iraq? And they're like, uh, it was 2016, bro. Uh, they're like, uh, I mean, if you thought. want to, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, I mean, look, we would love your support. And I was like, Hey, man, yep, let's do it. Let's do it. And like, I can come out in a week. So I called my, my manager and agent. Um, and I said, they're like, tell Warner brothers. Yeah. Oh, bro. Everybody, everybody. It, like I was, I was filming an episode of originals in Atlanta. And I, and I said to, I had to, I lied to the, I stretched the truth to the producers. And I said, I had a prior engagement that uh, I couldn't get out of. And I needed um, 12 days off. And they said, okay, so Warner Brothers approved it. I was in between two episodes. They said, we're going to give you 12 days off. So I literally flew to Atlanta, shot half my episode, got on an airplane to Turkey. From Turkey, I went into Iraq, you know, land in Iraq. Um, you know, I remember sort of getting off. I had my beats on. I had ripped jeans. I walk out. And I'm just like, what am I doing? What am yeah. I doing? Not exactly the and, safest place in the world. No. And Jeremy picks me up. And he's like, you know what? First of all, we're in the safe zone right now. Everything's fine. Uh, I'm so grateful that you're here. Um, we don't have to leave this. This is this is we, this is as safe as we can be in here. And he goes, I don't. We don't have to risk anything. And I was like, man, let's go for it. Like, I'm not here to just like. My girl know. just broke up with me, bro. You think? Yeah, I care but he didn't know any of that. He zone? didn't know none of that. I'm just like, hey, bro, let's go front line. So we ended up going 20 minutes from Mosul. Um, in this city called Batna, it was a Christian village that had just been liberated from ISIS. We drive in there one day with one soldier. There's like just everything is demolished. They're saying, look, be careful where you step. There's still IEDs. We don't even know if there's ISIS soldiers still here. There's like there was mortars going off. It was just like madness. And I remember walking around there just so blasé and thinking this is awesome. Like sniper, boom, Nate's done, straight to the presence of God. And I didn't even have to do anything for it. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I was just like. Yeah, I was just like cavalier about it. And then the next day I was in a refugee camp, sort of just, you know, we would go and meet with families and, and people who have lost everything. You'd hear the stories and it would be heartbreaking. And then, you know, one afternoon I was in a refugee camp just playing with kids and we, they didn't speak any English. I didn't speak, you know, um, any Arabic or, what you know, the languages that they spoke, um, you know, the Yazidi people. And so I couldn't communicate them, but we put playing basketball and I love basketball. We had a great time. And I remember just sort of walking off for a little while and just sort of sitting in this dusty field. And I remember God saying to me, if you're that willing to give up your life, give it up to me. What's the difference? And it struck me because he knew that I didn't care whether I won, lost, lived or died in that moment anymore. I didn't care if the world loved me. I didn't care if anyone else ever loved me again. I didn't, I was just numb. I was completely numb. I said, God was like, now you're ready. Because now you're ready to give it all up to me. Because if you don't care about the result, what's the difference? And he hit me. He hit me with the greatest truth I've ever heard. And it's that truth where you're like, I could have never understood that unless I was in the darkest place of my life, in, the, in, a, in a dusty field with nothing and no hope moving forward. And he was just like, what's the difference? What is the difference? And I thought to myself, there's no difference. From that moment, I just became radical. I came back from Iraq and I was like just consuming the Bible. Like I'd never done before. Like I was reading it and studying it. And I spent like 150 hours in Genesis. And then I was at church and all of a sudden I felt this thing where it was like, God says, go to Israel. And I was like, okay. And because I was so obedient in that point in my life, I was like, I'm just going to go. So 
I literally just kind of start organizing to get on a flight to Israel. No plan. I'm talking zero plans, bro. I'm like, I don't know. The, is this past the 12 days? Um, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, this is like after I've come back from Iraq. So I'm back oh, okay. from Iraq at this point. I'm back. Everyone And everyone's freaked out. Because I got to block my mom because my mom didn't know where I was. I said I went to Greece, you know. Um, so I, I came back and I thought I've got to go to Israel. And all I remember is like kind of feeling that feeling like I want to go see where Jesus lived. I want to go see where Jesus spoke. I want to go see where Jesus walked. And I want to understand this land. So about a week before, maybe two weeks before I went to, to Israel, I was sitting in my car in Atlanta. And I was like, God, I've got nothing organized. I don't, I don't know anything about Israel. I don't know anywhere you've been. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm literally just going off of like blind faith. And I don't know if it's my voice in my head or you're telling me to do this. Yeah. But I said, if this is your will, I'm going to walk into Passion City Church right now and you're going to open up a door for me that's going to make this easier and fulfill whatever you need to get done. And I was just, it was, you know, those moments where you're like, you're kind of talking to God. You're like, you know what? This is for your name and this is for your kingdom. So you're going to sort it out. And I'm just going to trust that. And I literally just walked out of my car, walked into Passion City Church, saw one of the guys that I'd known since the very beginning. And he was talking to this young, good-looking, long-haired, blonde kid. And so I went up to my mate. I said, hey, Leighton, what's going on? And he's like, hey, this is my friend Trevor. I'm like, hey, Trevor, how you doing? He's like, good, you know, good, bro. Like, you know, da-da-da, let's go, you know, that whole American, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. sort let's of thing. Go. I was like, okay, cool, yeah. So I walked off, and then I saw another friend that I knew, and I and she, you know, I started telling her about, like, um, Iraq. And I said, hey, I, I thought, you know, I'm going to probably end up going to – I want to go to Israel. I've just started to sort of plan my trip. And she goes, oh, you should go talk to Trevor, which is the guy I just met. He goes, he lived in Israel for, like, three months, and in, like, two months' time, he's going to go to Iraq. I was like – I'm sorry, what? That blonde-haired kid is going to go to Iraq? I was like, I mean, like if, if Louis Giglio that day had said, okay, who has been to Iraq or planning to go to Iraq in church today? There would be two people who would have put their hands up, me and him. Yeah. So I run back to this kid and I'm like, hey, man, i got to ask you some questions. Like I'm going to Israel and, you know, I just want to sort of learn about it because I, I know absolutely nothing about it. And then, you know, I, and I, I said to him, like, I heard you're going to Iraq. He's like, yeah, i got a real passion for, you know, you know, the Middle East. And, and I go, is there any organization that you kind of want to get in contact with? And he's like, there's one, but like, I have no contact with them and I don't know how to get through to them. And I was like, oh, which one is it? And he's like, oh, it's preemptive love. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, I've literally just spent like, you know, 12 days, you know, with, with Jeremy Courtney living with his family and doing all this crazy stuff. So it was kind of like this little God thing. And within like 30 minutes, this kid says, hey, I'll come to Israel with you because I know it and I know people and I've been there and we can just go to all the places where Jesus was. And I was like... <laughs> Like crazy. That's so anyway, legit. dude, crazy. But it gets more than that where God just starts. It's like one of those things that I kind of forget how faithful and awesome God is when you literally just trust him. You know, yeah. it's like a, you wish you could remember <clears throat> and you start to understand why God often said to the people of Israel, I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt. Because it's like ding, 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 ding. Remember, I've done this before. I've done it. You've just got to remember what I've done because you'll know that I can do it again. So. Yeah. A week before, the, the, no, like uh, the weekend before I fly to Israel, I get offered to do this convention in Romania. Romanian people are lovely too. They're like yeah. super nice. I mean, the ones that I met. So I'm in this green room and I'm waiting to do my, you know, my talk and sign autographs and stuff. And this this woman comes in with like big curly hair and she's just a huge fan of the show. She's like, I love the show. I'm like, can I get a photo with you? Blah, blah, blah. And I say, yeah, of course. No worries. Like, it's all good. And then her husband comes up and he's like, hi, how you doing? Like, 
well, you know, we'd love to host you for dinner and blah, blah. What are you doing after you finish in Romania? It's like, I'm actually flying from Romania to Israel. And he's like, oh, and this guy turned out to be like, you know, um, some sort of high, like, you know, political party, like minister of like foreign affairs or something for, for Romania. And he goes, hmm. I'm Jewish and I have very, very good contacts in Israel. I'm going to look after you. So he ends up introducing me to this guy called Menachem who lives in the old city. And this guy is an Orthodox Jew who's just amazing. But like this guy took me under his wing, took me to places where people aren't allowed to go. All just happened from these little moments. I was like, I paved the way. You're nothing, but I've done it already. And I was just like, wow. And like the contacts that I ended up making in Israel just through different people, you know, like just different circumstances where I was like, wow, God has just opened up doors. Like, you know, if I wanted to, I could, you know, I, I've got friends that like a guy that lives in the Holy Sepulchre, you know, and I randomly met him and he's literally, you know, uh, a Franciscan monk who just lives in the Holy Sepulchre. Jeez. You know what I mean? And and like I've got people who like all these crazy things, like people, you know, in the Israeli government that have just become really, really close friends and you know, like I would just be able to get access into like, like I even got taken underneath the old city where they were actually like, like digging and making new discoveries during from the time of, you know, Herod the Great. And I somehow I just That's was crazy. able to like crazy stuff where God's like, look, if you pay attention and you do what I tell you to do, you don't have to worry about a single thing, you know, um, when it comes to my kingdom and my story, you know, because if I want something yeah. done, God's going to do it. So yeah, man. And then after, you know, obviously after Israel, I just got so hungry, just hungry. And then, you know, basically two years from that first trip to Israel, I led a tour of 40 people through the Holy Land and just taught the Bible. I was baptizing people in the Jordan River. And I thought to myself, wow, like I'm baptizing people in the, the, the same river where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And yet seven years earlier, I knew nothing about you. What can yeah. God do with someone's life? You know? Yes. In a very quick amount of time. Yeah. That's, that's spooky to think about because- you know, you think about your life in terms of maybe decades or so, and yeah. you think your life is going to go a certain direction. Like it's probably going to go a certain direction, but your life has completely changed in the matter of eight years, like high every, school and college, yeah. essentially. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where I thought my whole life was going to be about acting and about you know my career and myself, and God said, no, nah, that's that's not the program. That's um, I'm using that to get you to a certain place so you can discover me. And, you know, and I'm kind of at that crossroad now where it's like, what is my, what is my purpose? And what, what, what does my actually like my real life supposed to look like in your kingdom? You know? Um, yeah. And, and it's kind of that, that thing, you know, I think it's like also for, for like a lot of Christian people, we always think that when God is going to use us for his kingdom, it's going to be like this awesome, powerful thing and revival is going to come and, and it's like, it's just not that. It's that, it's that isolation and that struggle and that shaping of my heart and everything that I thought was going to happen didn't happen and everything that he is doing is so much bigger and I kind of only really grasp that when I look back and go, ah, oh, I just had no idea. Yeah, you know. Yeah, the uh, placing your uh, life or worth or value on what you do or who you know or who you think you are or the people that you are fans of. Uh, time over time, time after time, just let you down or disappoint yeah. you or your yeah. idea for your life based on what you think you want, uh, will either disappoint you or, yeah. uh, you're going to get abruptly shown that his plan is a little different yeah. for you and it's going to happen one way or the other. Yeah. You know, it's that whole thing of like, 
you know, the desires of my heart 10 years ago are things that I would never wish for today. Yeah. And, and the only thing that has changed that is God's word. Like God's word has really kind of morphed what I want, what I see as value. And, 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 and I'm still a work in progress. You know, I'm like, even in this moment in my life, you know, I feel like God is doing another number on me where he's gone. Like, you know, I was living in LA, had my apartment, my car, my, my, my girlfriend, I had everything kind of worked out in, you know, 2019, I did another, did another movie, which was a shark movie. And I thought, okay, cool. Like, you know, things are getting back on track with acting and, and all of a sudden COVID hits. And now, you know, you didn't get to finish it. No, we, the movie was finished. We, that came out this, that, that movie came out this year. Um, okay. It was uh, like, uh, what deep blue C three. Deep Blue C3, yeah. Yeah, don't need to see the second one. You can skip it. <laughs> um, it was that bad. Oscar in your future. Man, I thought I was going to win an Oscar because I thought no no other films were going to come out this year. So I thought, hey, I could <laughs> like, be. There's only one option. Yeah, there's only one movie that comes out. You could be a good chance, you know. That's awesome. But um, but yeah, man, this year with COVID, everything got taken away. I, I packed up my apartment Overnight. in LA. Overnight, you know, like I packed up my apartment. I, um, you know, I had to get rid of my car. You know, my, my, my future in Hollywood is, is kind of in a weird place because of everything that's happening politically and, you know, there's just such a huge shift. And I, obviously being a Christian, uh, being a male white Christian, I'm the most unpopular person that you could possibly be in the United States right now. Mm-hmm. Um, my girlfriend, you know, kind of gave up and we kind of separated ways because it was six months of distance and, you know. This is a so new just, girlfriend or, or the same girl? This was this was a new girlfriend that I, well, we were together for a year. Okay. We met on the Sea of Galilee. So I was just like, you know, um, actually the, my rabbi friend had reached out to me and said, hey, I've, look, I've, I've got a favor to ask you if you can please just uh, meet with this girl. She um, she just did a movie and I just need to get some acting advice. And I was like, man, I'm so busy. I've got like 40 people with me. I'm, I'm touring people. I've been up since like, you know, two o'clock this morning as we were sort of walking through this valley into the Sea of Galilee. I, I can give her an hour of my time, but she's going to have to drive to the Sea of Galilee. So this poor girl, you know, drives up with a with um with a friend of hers. You know, it's like a two and a half hour drive to meet Jeez. with this this guy. She gets there, and you know, she's kind of just looking sort of for some acting advice. And we're sitting on the Sea of Galilee. Like I'm literally we're sitting looking at the Sea of Galilee. And I kind of said to her, "Do you know much about this place?" She goes on, oh, you know, not really, just a little bit. And I'm like, "The God of the universe took on human flesh, and he actually spent a lot of time in this specific area." And I kind of just started explaining the Bible and explaining, you know how God yearns for an intimate and personal relationship with people. And, and, and that is showcased in this life of Jesus. So we, I ended up speaking to her for like two hours explaining the Bible. And I think it's probably the first time she was ever exposed to that sort of conversation on that level that started to make her think and understand like, well, if I do believe in a God and I do believe in a relationship, why would I not believe in the idea of that God who created all things also wanting to create a unique and powerful relationship with me, you know? Hmm. So, you know, we kind of kept in touch and we ended up, you know, starting to date and we were together for a year, but man, COVID, it just, everything, you know, and, and she's on her journey. the whole time? No, we, we, we started, the long distance sort of started back in February when things started to get locked down. I see. So I, I had to come back to Australia because my mum lives here. She's by herself, you know, she's in a sort of a vulnerable position with her age sure so i thought i got to come back here and australia's just kept us locked down you know and yeah and you know i I give her credit she kind of fought for as long as she could you know it's hard long distance is really hard you know you don't get to no she's actually in in mallorca yeah so 
literally, I think she's, she's on, she's in the one location from Sydney, which is the furthest place you can actually get on the earth. Like you'd, you'd wow. have, like you'll, she's literally like either way she went, it's the same distance as she's that far from me. She couldn't be any further from me, which is kind of one of those things where like, God, you really kind of like separated us for a long time, you know? It's tough. Okay. But yeah, you know, you lose that. And that You know, God's doing something with my life at the moment and I don't fully understand what that is, but yeah. you know, I think, there's a challenge in that. And that's why I think, you know, when people listen, they go, oh, you know, you know, you love God and God's, you know, working in your life. And what, you know, people might think that you just have this. I think a lot of people meet me and they're like, oh, you're so positive. And I wish I had that relationship with God. And I'm like, it's, it's awesome. My relationship with God is awesome. It's the only thing that's keeping me stable, but do not think for a second that this journey is easy. And do not think for a second that God isn't putting me through my paces to shape the person that he wants me to be. And that's hard. It's difficult. You're going to lose things. And it really puts you into that place of faith where you're like, oh, wow, God, did I have things above you? And did I have things, you know, we kind of, you know, even when you think about Psalm 23, where it talks about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's easy to say that. And it's easy to even say, oh, yeah, God is my number one. How many people on the Instagram put God first? And you kind of mm-hmm. look at their Instagram and you go, I don't even know if he makes the top 10. Yeah. You know? Like you first. Yeah. But but to really live out that reality that that God is all that I want and all that I need, that that's tough. And I think me as a Christian who wants to represent the gospel and live in a world that, um, you know, I want to be a, a light to people. And God's going, okay, if you want, if you want that life, I'm happy to give it to you, but know what you're asking for. You know, you know what you're actually stepping into because it's not just like you're going to be awesome and everyone's going to like, you know, appreciate what you have to say. You're going to have to go through it because if you don't go through it, you're never going to be able to understand people's pain. Mm -hmm. If you don't know how to live just with me, how are you ever supposed to preach to people that all you need is me, you know? And that's, that's, I think that's what kind of God wants to do with his chosen, you know, I was talking about this the other day on my Instagram. I said, if, if you're not going through struggle, if you're not going through hardship, if you're not going through a place in your life where you feel like everything is crashing and crumbling, you could be further away from God than you think, hmm. you know, and that's, yeah. not, that, that's not the Christian message, is it? Because the Christian message is God's going to make you feel warm and cozy and comfortable, you know, but, you know, again, Psalm 23, you know, he's going to make you lie down. He's, he's not going to like let you lie down. He's going to make you lie down. He's going to put you into a situation where you have absolutely zero choice but to lay down and listen to what he has to say. And then he's going to guide you, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the message that's kind of so lost on this Christian community today. We, we know how to receive love, but I don't think we have fully learned how to give God our love because that's, that's really the, the real challenge in this journey, you know? And, and that doesn't come from the place of abundance. That comes from the place of like, oh, that's it. All I've got is you now, you know, and how I respond to that. You know, I think this last few months, you know, I could have easily been in a really dark depression again, you know, like another failed relationship, Yeah. Um, you know, losing my sort of whole life and even just being in lockdown. I had a great life. You know, I was traveling the world. I was getting to do all these things. I was in Israel. I was just, you know, and, and when all that gets taken away, you're like, oh, here's the challenge. Here's the point where I'm like, am I opening up my scripture and am I giving praise to my God in my pain? Am I, am I, you know, being joyful in my suffering and in my struggle? Um, that's the real challenge. And I think what I've taken from that is like, oh, God does love me because he's put me in this place. Because yeah. I'm going to, you know, that's going to, that's where the character is going to come from. And that's where I'm going to actually really have to ask myself the question, is the life, is this life about me or is it about him? 
Because if it's about him, I should be golden right now. Yep. Yeah. With less. And even yeah. if more gets taken away, more joyful I should be, but, you know, should start to become. And it's like, that's the real challenge. That's a, uh, it's a tough spot to consistently be in, especially when you're feeling, mm. uh, feeling like you're being broken down or feeling like nothing is going well, like relationship stuff. Like that's something that most rational people want to go well. Like it seems like a righteous thing to want somebody to spend the rest of your life with. But when those things fail, that, that really is a very quick departure from the top to the bottom because it feels like you put all this worth and all this weight to this thing that felt so good and seemed so right. And then he says, no, that's not it. That's not it. And yeah. The lesson you may not realize until years and years later, but it's 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 very hard to me. It at least in my own life, it's very hard when those things are happening for me not to be like, wh- why does it? Why are you having to do this to me this way? Like, mm-hmm. why can you not teach me in a more subtle way instead of crushing my very like self esteem and self worth yeah. and all that? Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty hard to be. I mean. You, the solution I think is what you're alluding to is like yeah. consistently abiding in him and, and reading his mm. word. But sometimes it's hard. Uh, I think a lot of people would say it's hard whenever you're, I mean, you've lived at having relationship stuff specifically that is so brutal and so Br- like, br- oh, brutal. Like, and yeah. that anybody out there would say you deserve to be pissed or yeah. to be like hitting the club on a Tuesday night. Man, uh, and you know what? It's it's a funny thing, you know. Even like last night, I was reading, I was reading um, the Alchemist, and it was a book that actually, you know, a girl that I knew from LA had given me, and she she hand wrote this this letter to me, and in the letter she was like, you know, you're one of the most kindest people I've ever met in my life, and I'm so happy to meet you. And I was kind of reading it, and it was really lovely what she had wrote at the time, but it was one of those things where it's like, oh man, like, you know. Um, even with my my ex girlfriend that just we recently broke up, I, I completely understand where where she was coming from and the, the struggle. And at the same time, I'm like, you're going to go back into the world and you're going to realize that um, it's a t- it's a hard place out there. It's tough. You're not going to find people who have loyalty and love and compassion and kindness um, if they don't love God. You know, and you're going to have to face that reality. And that's your journey now. You know, you're going to meet guys that are going to use you and abuse you and take advantage of you. And they're going to love themselves more. They're going to love you because that's what the world teaches them. And and she's on a journey. And I pray that God will guide her through that and and really just kind of enter into her life. But it's that same thing where it's like, I, like me, I'm 37 years old. I want, I, like my my desire, my, my, my life was like, I would love to be a father and I would love to be a husband and I would love to be a partner and I would love to like, you know, give my life to another individual. And for me, you know, at this point in my life where I'm looking at my past relationships and how much I've been invested in each one and they've somehow just absolutely crumbled or crippled, I'm like, is this my Isaac moment, God? Is this the, the you know, the thing that I'm, I kind of desire so, so much that you actually want to see if I'm willing to give it all up and go, hey, because, you know, the, the, that's when we read that Abraham story, we got to remember that God didn't ask Abraham to sacrifice his son day one. There was a long journey until God said, okay, now this is the moment. This is the test to see how much you trust and believe in my word. And, you know, for me, if I looked at my desire to be in a relationship, that would be my Isaac thing. That would be the thing that I'm like, this is what I want most, God. And so many Christian people and, you know, friends or even my mom, people are like, you know what, you're going to find the right girl one day. 
and God's going to bless you with that. And my response is not necessarily what people would expect. I would say, no, that's not necessarily true. Right. God is not necessarily, yeah, like who knows? That's God's will. But what all I need to know is that if God doesn't give me that thing, that doesn't mean he's not a good God. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I look at the story of, you know, like, I mean, I'm doing a study of Luke at the moment and um, kind of just getting in the early days of John the Baptist. Who would desire the life of John the Baptist? No one, no locust Christian's going to be like, hey, and- oh, yeah, locust, honey, wilderness, and you know, religious leaders coming down, going, like, what are you, like, what are you doing? And, and like, you know, he 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 didn't have the life that would be desirable to the world, but in Jesus' eyes, he says there is no one greater born of a woman than John the Baptist. Like, he doesn't give me the the best life now. That doesn't mean he doesn't love me. That means he has a plan for me, and I have to get on board with that plan. And until I get on board with that plan then I'm just either for him or I'm against him. But I, I don't want to be the Christian that says, like, God has to do X, Y, and Z to, to, to meet my criteria of his goodness. And I think when a lot of people think, oh, you're going to end up with someone, I'm like, if it's his will, yes, great. But my struggle and my battle is to say I don't need that. The Lord yeah. is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that's, that's, this is where it really kind of steps into real faith. This is where it steps into say, okay, this is the thing I want most. And this is the thing that I, I'm going to say, I, like, Lord, if it's not your will, then I'm going to give you everything again. Because, like, you know, even thinking about, you know, and if people are listening in on this and reflecting on the idea of relationship, we all, like, look, so many people out there, I think, are feeling that pain of, like, wanting to be loved and, you know, from another person. And one thing that I kind of took from from this experience is that there there is someone standing at my door that is saying, hey, I'm here and I'm ready to love you. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. And I am enough. Yeah. I'm ready to love you if you're ready to receive it. If, But you have to be ready to receive it. And that's kind of the thing where I'm kind of like, there is, Jesus is there going, if you want someone who wants to spend every moment of their day with you, if you want someone who is willing to be on the on that phone call with you in your deepest and darkest moment, if you want someone to be in your best moments, and your worst moments, it's me. I'm the guy that's going to give you that love. Because I think, you know, we're looking for that in, in, in the world and we're looking for that, that, that word love and that consistency that we can trust the faithfulness of that promise. Mm-hmm. And we're never going to get that from another human being. It always falls short. Yeah. You know? And even if, it's, if it, even if it feels like you're getting that for a time, inevitably yeah. they're going to let you down. They're going to let you down. They're going to they, they're, they're fail. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail someone. You know, even if I was, if I had a wife, I'm not going to read every situation and I'm not going to be able to play into that. Like, you know, and I'm going to fail someone. So it's like the only place when, you know, and I think the thing that it's interesting about love is when someone says they love you, you think it's forever, but it's that moment for humans. It's like, I love you in the moment. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where a girl's told you she loves you and then, you know, five years from now, she'll never talk to you again. Or she, yeah. you know, you just go in different ways and you're like, well, well, love was in that moment. What's beautiful about God is when he says, I love you, that is eternity. You're like, that doesn't change. And there's a consistency to that that I can trust and I can rely on. I was like, if, if, if nothing else, I have your love forever and your word doesn't change. And I think, you know, the one thing that I, I appreciate from the Jewish people is their love of the word of God. It will not change. Nothing will change, which means I can trust that word. You know, I mean, I even remember um, finding, you know, I was one, one day with a Muslim friend of mine. 
I'm walking along and I'm always challenging him to read the Bible. But the first thing I have to challenge him to do is read the Quran because he hasn't even read his own book. <laughs> so I said to him, you know, you pray a lot, you know, and he goes, yeah, yeah, you know, like I, I pray all the time. I go, but you don't read the Quran. He goes, oh, not really. I go, do you know what you're doing? He goes, no, he goes, you're trying to have a one-way conversation with your idea of God. You know, you're going to do all the talking and he's going to do all the listening. And the only time that you will hear him speak is when you open up his book. You know, and I said, look, I read my Bible because that's when God speaks to me. Hmm. If I'm not reading my Bible, I'm trying to have a one-way conversation with God. You know, have you ever been on a phone call with like someone when they're like, this was my day, this is what I did, and then I was going to do this, and then I do that. And then anyway, I got to go. I'll see you later. Bye. Yeah, yeah. That's literally what we do with God. You know, we do that with God so often in our prayer life. You know, and I think that open communication comes when we start reading his word. We start, you know, meditating on his word, reflecting on his word. I mean, the other day, man, I sat and listened to Psalm 23 for like an hour and a half straight. You know, it, it only goes for probably about 45 seconds to a minute. And I listened to it for an hour straight over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it was so profound. The more I meditated on God's word, the more I started to relate some of the themes that Psalm 23 says. I think Psalm 23 is, I mean, it's it's obviously one of the most popular Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you sort of sit and pay attention to it for a while, one thing that really stood out for me, he says, he prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies, right? We, we have enemies, internal, external. They could be physical forces. They could be, you know, spiritual forces, whatever it is. Yeah. What I, what I kind of, what struck me when I listened to it over and over again is like, hang on a second, what is God telling me? What is Jesus telling me about his preparation of this table where my enemies are also present? What he's saying is I have authority over the things that you fear because your enemies is what brings you fear and I have authority over them. So if mm. I've told them to come to this table and they're going to sit there and they're going to have this meal with you, guess what? Guess who's got authority over your enemies? I do because I prepared the table. So if, if I have authority over your enemies, why do you fear them? Yeah. Why do you fear the thing like being alone? Why do you fear the reality of never meeting someone that you love? I have authority over that. That's, if that's your enemy, I've told it to sit at your table. And guess what? While they're sitting at your table, I'm going to anoint your head and your cup is going to overflow because I am your God. And that was like, whoa, I just lost that fear. I just lost that anxiety. I just lost that panic. I just And, and even if it was just for that moment of that one hour where I was listening to Psalm 23, it was gone. Yeah. And what I realized is like, I have to keep going back to that. I have to keep going back to that reality of going, hey, I got to listen to it again. I got to remind myself, my God has authority over my enemies. Yeah. That's you know, a daily, so that's a daily, I mean, it, it needs to be a, a rhythm for you every day in order to, because you have to remind yourself of that. It's, it's not once and forget it unless you're memorizing it and reciting it to yourself. Yeah. In and, your head. you know, and, and it's kind of like, you know, when you meet people and they go, oh, you know, have you read the Bible? And they go, oh, yeah, and I, I kind of read it a lot when I was younger. And now I'm kind of just like, I've got my relationship with God. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you, you could read, you know, you could read the Gospel of Luke when you're 21. And when you open it up, when you're 37 and you read it again, it will have a whole new perspective, you know, because you've gone through more, you've experienced more, you've suffered more, you've, you know, you, you've, you know, when you talk to young Christians, they haven't seen enough of the world to understand how broken it is yet. You know, yeah, yeah. it's like, you know, when you meet young people and they're in love, they're like, oh, this is going to be forever. And you're like, oh, the world's tough. 
the world's tough. Relationships is tough. And, and you don't know you that down. yet. And, and even if I told you, even if I said to you, hey, kids, chances are this is not going to work out. Just saying, chances, odds on, they wouldn't believe you. Right. But then we enter into the world and the more and more broken we get. And I think that's why, like, you know, living in the word of God, the experience you go through, you're going to have to open it up and go, ah, oh, that's what God was talking about. Today's episode of the Preachers and Seekers podcast is brought to you by UpperRoom.org. There's some daily comforts that just make you feel grateful and more grounded in life, like petting the dog, hitting the snooze button, and of course, that first cup of joe in the morning. These are things that you count on every day to help you get where you want to go. Things like the Upper Room Daily Devotional Guide. You can count on the Upper Room for daily inspiration, daily community, and daily prayer. It is the only daily devotional magazine written by readers, ordinary people, people who have encountered God in daily situations. The Upper Room is here for you every day through your email, a custom app, or printed magazine. Enjoy a free 30-day trial of the email or app service by visiting upperroom.org slash welcome. That's U-P-P-E-R-R-O-O-M dot org slash welcome to get your first 30 days free. That's why he was saying, I'm your refuge and a shield because I actually need refuge and I need a shield in this moment. You know, yeah. I, 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 you know my, my strength isn't going to save me. I tried it. It didn't work. Right. And it never does. I mean, no. maybe in the short term, but long term never does. Yeah. I, uh, you have a very rare level of radical, like, at least from my perspective, being bought in to everything that comes with being a believer. You also work in an incredibly progressive, yeah. kind of w- everything goes type world. Yeah. Especially now that you're like, maturing more and more in your faith has that created a conflict for you or does everyone just have a a poor interpretation of hollywood in that because like you're even i know a lot of people in hollywood now and you're the most outspoken one across and you have 2.4 million followers on instagram and you're very vocal about your faith yeah how has that manifested itself in the past couple years yeah i mean you know i I think it's a natural progression um because people lose their jobs for much less in the United States for voicing yeah. their faith beliefs, specifically Christian beliefs. Yeah, my time's coming. I mean, look, I, I know I've I know that I've lost jobs and I know that I haven't been given jobs because of what my Instagram represents. I know that. Wow. Even even with Vampire Diaries and Originals, you look at all the characters. Uh, I was never made a series regular. Um, and there was reasons behind that. There was a distaste for who I was and what I represented. Um and, you know, you meet me and I, I don't care what you believe. I, 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 at the end of the day, I'm going to treat you like every other human. I'm yeah. never going to think I'm above you. In fact, if anything, I'm going to probably feel like I'm below everybody because I want to serve people and love people. I remember when I first became a Christian on the Vampire Diaries, I was praying for people on set that had sicknesses and illnesses. I was just like a little bit radical, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, and what was funny about that, even I had moments on set where someone would walk up to me and be like, hey, I'm a Christian. And then someone else would be like, hey, right. I'm also a Christian. I'm like, why is everyone being so quiet about this concept? You know, like, what are we, what are we fearful of? Um, but, you know, I know and I've heard through the grapevine that, 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 that um, I was disliked because of um, my Christianness. And, and that's understandable. That's, you know, that's, that's part of It feels like inevitably there's a collective feeling of some type of guilt or feeling that you're going to 
yeah, judge they, somebody for doing uh, something. 100%. People think that you're going to judge. People think you have some sort of superiority to them because you're a Christian, because you're just so vocal and proud of, of the work that Jesus did on your behalf that, you know, you can't help but share it. But they, you know, it's like, you know, to someone looking for hope, it's like the greatest thing they could ever hear. But for someone who wants to remain in the darkness, they're just, they're repelled by what you say and what you do and how you live and how you act. And, you know, I even remember, you know, the one thing that I've learned is that nothing that I've done has made people believe in Jesus. I don't believe that it's my work. Yeah. I do believe that that God has been kind enough to give me front row seats to his glory and how he works in people's lives. Here's an example. I remember that I would often talk to people about Jesus on set, on the Vampire Diary set. And, you know, there'd be good conversations. There would be awkward conversations. There would be very, very challenging conversations. Um, but I would always talk about it, you know, and I love to have those discussions. I'm never one to shy away from, uh, you know, uh, a debate. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was talking to someone on set once about Jesus and how how he operates, how he works, and just, you know, how he's just love has just sort of really overtaken my life and really kind of starts to transform me. And a girl reached out to me um, who worked on the set. She was kind of like a PA. And I remember she reached out to me just on my DMs and said, you know, I hated the way you carried on about Christianity. It it annoyed me. It frustrated me. I remember walking past you one day where you were talking to someone about Jesus and I was just like, oh, here he goes again. So she she said to me, she goes, I hated everything you said, everything you did. I remember walking past you one day where you were sharing, you know, um, something about Jesus to them. And then I've become a Christian and I've followed what you've been doing over the years and you've actually really impacted on the life that I have with God and now making a commitment to follow him. I have those moments where I'm like, wow, I wasn't even after you. You were walking past conversations I was having with someone else. God will work in such powerful and mysterious ways, and you will never know the impact you have. But the most important thing you have to remind yourself of is like, I have a task, and I have a very, very simple task. You know, when we we open up the Gospel of Luke and we see this story about John the Baptist, his job was to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. And I think that is so important for us as Christians to understand that, look, before Jesus comes face to face with someone, they're going to meet you and you're going to prepare that path because God is not just, God doesn't just show up into someone's story that have never had some sort of uh, interaction with another person where he's like, Hey, I'm Jesus. And we're going to have a relationship. It doesn't work like that. He starts that journey off by having people prepare the way. And what I've learned on my journey as a Christian is that I don't know at what point I'm coming into someone's life. I don't know if it's the first conversation that makes them really uncomfortable or it's the last conversation that makes them go, you know what? It's time that I surrender everything to him. I don't know where I fit into that. All I know is I'm preparing a path, a path that has been paved by his love. And all I've got to do is say, hey, there is a God that is coming. There is a savior and a person who can step into your life, step into your brokenness, take away those things that you are struggling with that the world hasn't ever had answers for. And one day you're going to meet him. And I want to tell you about him today. So the day and that moment where you come face to face with the risen Jesus, you know who you're talking to. Yeah. And that's our job. And that's happened so many times. I mean, no pressure. I've got mu- yeah. I've got Muslim people who have converted to Christianity. Um And, you know, I've got this one girl, I won't say what country she's in because she lives in a very, very Muslim, um, it's a Muslim majority country. And if they found out that she was a Christian, she would be, it would be a criminal offense. Yeah. And she's converted to Christianity. And it it is a profound and incredible story how God has worked in this young girl's life. She used to read my comments and my, 
my exchanges with um, Muslims on social media. And I'm not one to go, hey, we all believe in the same God. Let's all just get along kumbaya. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, the way that you define God is not the way God defines himself. So either you've been misled or everything that the the gospel and, and Jesus and every single other prophet spoke about is incorrect. So you're relying on one man's word versus another. But I'm telling you, it is not the same God. And I can show you where. So we have these really kind of impact. And, you know, people don't like that because we live in a world now where we say, hey, let's all just get along. Yeah. Like they believe in one God, Nate, let them live. You know, and I've even had Christians saying, we don't like the way you approach um, your conversations with people. You know, where's the gentleness? Where's the kindness? Yeah. I'm like, hey, where's the truth? You know? Because I yeah. risk it all. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. I, I lose followers. I lose friends. I'll lose. I'll lose everything for the truth of the gospel. You know, hmm. once I start really trying to put myself out there. And, and you know, the other thing that I kind of really kind of realized anyway, is this. The natural Christian progression never leads to a place where persecution doesn't happen. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus spoke the Beatitudes, he starts as blesses the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But he finishes in a place where persecution comes. And when you, and if you ever get a chance, when we get off this podcast, go and read the Beatitudes and look yeah. at it as a step-by-step all the way. Because the way things finish as a Christian, it always finishes in persecution. The more you put yourself out there, the more you represent the gospel, the more the world is going to hate you. Yeah, and the, and Jesus prepared us for that. He he wasn't just like, hey, like, you know, even you know, blessed are um, blessed are the peacemakers. We kind of sometimes take that as blessed are the peacekeepers. Like, let's right. just keep the peace. Let's yeah. all just get I along. Mean, I lean, I lean on that side. Like wanting, I don't like making people mad. Ironically enough, I don't like. I want everybody to get along in a lot of ways. But there is like some element yeah, of, of course. If you truly believe what you say, you believe you would be completely bought into that in a way that uh manifests itself in everything that you do and a lot of times i think we both agree that the gospel is offensive basically saying you're all sinners we are all sinners and we can do nothing yeah to uh secure our eternity outside of him yeah Uh, i mean uh, jesus said it himself he said i haven't come to bring peace to the world but a sword um he's divisive he knows he's divisive and he says the more you know when I first became a Christian, everyone loved what I said because I was like, oh, Jesus just loves you and everything's, you know, Jesus is just awesome and he's just like literally he's just, he's just he pours out his love and all we have to do is receive it. But the more I understand scripture and the more I go through my journey and the more truth I speak of the gospel, I start getting, I mean, I get people hating me all the time. I get Christians hating me. I get I get non-Christians hating me. I get Muslims hating me. I get, you know, yeah. I get Hollywood hating me. Um, and then I, and I go back to Jesus' words and he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for for righteousness sake blessed are those and if they blessed are those who you know if they call you all kinds of false evils because of me so he's like it's gonna happen you don't think it's not gonna happen it's it but but when it happens it's it's happening because you've fully surrendered when you fully surrender that's when it happens and you're like oh and the comforting thing about that is this if it didn't happen then i'd start questioning the gospels you know I mean, even you know, even Paul says everybody who lives a Christian life will be persecuted. Yeah, you will have troubles. You will. You can't avoid it. But what's awesome about that is if they've told you it's going to happen, when it does happen, you're like, "Wow, my God speaks truth." Yeah, He knew it was going to happen, which means He knows all things to come. He knew it was going to be this way, and He's prepared me for it. 
Yeah. You know, he's preparing the people. It's hard to uh, be in that space in the moment, though, when stuff feels like yeah. it sucks. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard for it to seem like a gift or seem like validation of his power. Yeah. It's like, dude, just make this go away, please. Yeah, it, it, it is. But it's like a, it's a like perspective shift, you know? Yeah. And, and I think- and You need to be open to that. And, and you know, I feel like every, every, every Christian has been given a task. You know, for some of us, look, I'm in a, I'm in a very rare position, like you said. You know, I've got 2.4 million followers, uh, you know, um, and there is an, a pressure to represent God well. And my, my God's not going to be like, hey, I'm just going to give you this platform and, you know, do it as you wish. He's like, no, no, this is given to you. And, and there's the responsibility to that. And there's a pressure to that. Yeah. And I'd love to give you your best life now, but you know, you've, you're the one who's gone out and said, this is my God and, and, and I shall not want. So here we go. You know, yeah. and i that's why I feel like, you know, I take comfort in the fact that, you know, God will give us the task that he knows that we're prepared to deal with. And when, you know, I maybe, you know, my life and, you know, I mean, I grew up in a really poor family. Like we grew up with nothing. And oh, the really? fact that, yeah, my mum was a refugee to Australia. My dad left when I was a little kid. I started working from as Croatia. a 12. Yeah, from Croatia. Well, she was born in Egypt, oh, wow. actually, in a refugee camp, which I always think is cool because, you know, when, um, you know, when you think about Jesus growing up in Egypt, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of like my mum was born there. So, you know, out of Egypt, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's like I, I did it tough. I did it really tough as a kid. And no one ever gave me anything, even with my acting career was just, it's rejection upon rejection or upon rejection. And it's funny, you kind of look at that and you look at the career I'm in and I'm like, was God preparing my heart for a world that wanted to reject me? And if he has, then again, he's come through. He's like, I'm going to, not everyone might be able to deal with this persecution, you know, and maybe that's not the task he's going to give him. But I do feel that like, you know, the deeper your love goes, um, you know, the, the more difficult this journey becomes. I mean, I mean, God, I, I've got it easy. Look at Paul, and you're like, wow. And and then, and the other thing is, there there are people doing far greater things than anything I've ever done in my life on social media in yeah, places yeah. that are being persecuted. And and I'm like, they're the people that the world will never hear about, never speak about. But they're the people where we're like, wow, in the kingdom of heaven, you are great. Yep. Yeah, you're in this uh, interesting middle ground where, for whatever reason, you're able to maintain this. I mean, there's very few people that have over a million followers, like real followers. And you would think that the progression is the more and more outspoken and radical you get, you're going to lose all the followers that you have from your entertainment career. Yeah. But it's an interesting interesting space that you've kept, if not grown. Mm this huge platform and have been given this influence. And there is a ton of pressure to that because yeah. the the stakes for you are at such a higher scale than most of us to say, like if you say something wrong or if you do something wrong or freaking yeah. TMZ catches you yeah. taking a shot or something yeah. that goes at a massive scale. So it's just interesting that he's, he's allowed things of our current time to grow and progress for you, but still, mm call you to something that has you speaking out against things that are offensive. Yeah. Uh, and I would encourage people to follow, uh, at Nate buzz on Instagram because you're pretty active on your stories. You're pretty active on your posts. Um, yeah. I just, I'm just, I guess I'm just saying that 
it seems really interesting or that he can work in a very complex way to say, Hey, this guy can't, he doesn't have to be in cheesy Christian movies Mm. to be a Christian actor. This guy is acting in mainstream productions, but is also incredibly radical and still attracting people, even though he's pissing people off. Yeah. But you're still attracting a lot of people and hopefully getting people to reconsider or consider for the first time their faiths. Yeah, and I think, you know, the other thing is, man, you know, I'll I'll talk about things that are uncomfortable that the church may not want to talk about, you know. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, 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 I'm not a big believer that, you know, God has um, everyone. Like, you know, a lot of people think, oh, God, like God loves everybody, you know. And I'm like, no, he's chosen people and not everybody's going to enter into his glory. I mean, even Matthew 6 is a, a tough one when you when you see that Jesus himself says there are going to be people who call, say, Lord, Lord, you know. Um, we, you know, we performed, you know, we did all these things in your name and they're not going to enter into heaven. And that's yeah. a scary thing. You know, people, like the church wants to forget about those verses and the church doesn't want to talk about them because they want people to come in. They want people to feel loved. So I, I feel like there's a gap there where who's the Christian who's going to say, you know what? Um, I don't have a church. I don't have to pay for a building. I don't have to. Um, but who's going to share that message? That's the uncomfortable one. Who's going to say, you know what? If you're living your best life now, maybe God hasn't got your heart in his hands. That's an uncomfortable thing to talk about, you know, because yeah. we all just want to be like, oh, God loves everybody and everyone, let's all just get along. But who's going to be the one that says, hey, if you are if you think that what you have in your possession, if it's money, wealth, power, fame, beauty, if you think that, you know, you've got it all worked out, you don't. And that is all going to crash and crumble. Those pillars of sand are going to come down. And if it's not Christ at the center of your life, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to feel it. Your best life now is as, as far as it's going to get now, <laughs> but there's an eternity that, that no one's talking about, you know? So, you know, and I think, you know, as a Christian, I, I, I'm kind of in this world now where I'm trying to work out how do I operate my social media to encourage other Christians and to show them what a Christian life looks like. Not the glamorous one, not the, you know, elegant, you know, uh, speaking of, you know, and, and just all the positive messages, but a real life Christian life, you know, like a few months ago, um, just before quarantine started, I read the Bible cover to cover in one month. And I, I kind of, that's pretty extreme, man, dude, I wanted to do it in 10 days. I just couldn't convince my buddy. (laughs) So that's crazy, bro. Yeah. But uh, look, it only took, um, I think it was like 70, I think it was like 72 hours or something like that. It took like in total. Like you didn't do that in three days. You just did that over the course of a month. No, we did it in a month. We did it in one month. Yeah. Right. And, um, but you know, what was incredible about that is um, I wanted to show people that it's like, it's possible. Like you, if you really want to learn about God, you've got to kind of get in the word and like a month, it's like four hours every day. Um, we spend, you know, I can spend two hours on social media and it just disappears. And I don't know what I've done with my life. You know? I average like six and a half a day. Yeah. See, you could get through the entire Bible in a month with that same time. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> you would. Now I'm going to message you in like a week's time. I'm convicted. Like, are you starting? Oh, uh, um, bro, I just got stuck at Leviticus and I never went past I it. I love Leviticus. I love Leviticus. You, you, you know love what? You'll, Leviticus. You'll know how much a Christian loves God by how much they love the Old Testament. That's my test. <laughs> That's my test now. I'm like, how much do you read the Old Testament? I love the Old Testament. I love it. You know, yeah. um, there's, there's, it's, you know why? Cause it's harder to dig that, that ground is it's 
it's dry. It's it's you got to you 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 don't understand culture. You don't understand tradition. You don't understand yeah. You know the the Jewish nation. You have no concept of like these places that they're naming the Edomites and you know the Jebusites, and you, you have no concept. So you have so much more work to do as a Christian to start breaking things down. But when you make discoveries in the Old Testament, it will make you go, "Whoa, my God has got so many things worked out." There's so many levels to his stories, but you know you know. Even when people say to me, they're like, where should I start reading the Bible? I'm like, Genesis. And when you get to Revelation, you'll know you're finished, <laughs> you know, because we want to skip to the good part of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I get it. We want to open up Matthew, but here's the biggest problem. And this is what I learned when I did it in one month. I had such a somber feeling when I got to the end of Malachi. Because at the end of every story in the Old Testament, you just see our failure. He's like, we just don't get it right. And even King David in all his, like a, a man after God's own heart, he's still just like, there's still that. But God at the yeah. end of every story makes that hope promise this, but, but, but. So if you don't go through that struggle, you're going to get to Jesus and you're not going to appreciate him on the same level. Cause he's just like, he's just, he's like the cool guy that walked into the room. There's like, Oh, he's cool. But you, you haven't been at the party where everything's gone wrong and he's come and saved the day. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. so people just miss that. And Chris, we, we, we miss that as Christians. We lose so much because we don't want to go into the old Testament, but the old Testament is really what makes, you know, that whole genealogy of Matthew. So like, dun, 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 dun. like here it is, you've been waiting for it. And now you're not going to see any disappointment because Jesus comes through and he comes through and he comes through and he comes through and he comes through. And then we think we've lost again because he's died. And then boom, revelation, he's there and he's done it and he's overcome all things. And people lose that, you know? Um, but even to that, you know, I, I've challenged a couple of my friends of mine. If you're not ready to do the Bible in a month, live in a book for a month. I lived in the gospel of Luke for one month. Every single day, I would read 12 chapters a day. That means I got through the, you know, the gospel of Luke, I think um, four times in a week, I would take the Sabbath off. And um, dude, I learned so much about Luke and about, about, you know, his gospel and how he presents Jesus. But it wasn't just because I read it once or twice. It's because I read it every single day I was living in it. And every single day I lived in it, God revealed something new, like crazy incredible things that people just miss or skip. For yeah. example, let's talk about Jesus healing uh, the widow's son. Um, in the gospel of Luke, he heals um, a widow's son. They're carrying out the son from, you know, from the town. It's in a, in a city called um, Nain, right? And that's important because you're like, okay, why am I, why am I telling me that Jesus is healing, uh, you know, a widow's son in Nain? Do a little bit of research. And then you discover that Elisha also healed a widow's son. Ding, 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 ding who was um, a Shulamite, and if you find out where they are, they're right in the village next to the village of Name. So you're like, hang on a second. We see Elisha in the Old Testament healing a widow's son, giving the son back to the widow when he's been risen from the dead, and now Jesus does the same thing. Breathing into him, he's praying, he's doing all these things. Jesus just says, get up, arise. So for someone who understands the Old Testament, we're like, oh, there's a, there's a resurrected story in the Old Testament. And Elijah went to great lengths and prayed and did all these things. Jesus comes along, raises, does the same sort of thing, but with minimal effort. Hang on a second. There's our God. Yeah. You know, and he's connecting that Old Testament story. So there's just, I don't know, there's just so much. And for me, I'm like, Jesus is rocking it out, you know? Yeah. But I get that from the Old Testament. You've got quite the attention span, I would say. Dude, I love it. I think most of us would say if we tried to sit down and read the Bible for four hours straight, 
Yeah. I think we'd all say we'd want to be able to do that. Yeah. But I've got about seven solid minutes in me as far as attention span yeah. goes. And that yeah. probably go, that's probably a product of that six and a half hours on social media a day. Well, well dude, also this, ask me how many books I read before reading the Bible. Cover to how cover. Many books, how many None. books did you read? <laughs> None. I hate reading. Dude, I'm, I'm not a reader. That's the thing. Really? That's, when, that's where I was like, God has changed my heart in such a way. Yeah. You know, he 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 has given me that desire. It's like, you know, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you know, will be filled. They'll they'll they I will be filled with what God wants to give me. But it's like that whole thing was I hate reading, man. Now my 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 whole room is just filled with books on the Bible. Yeah. You know, I'm but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, and, and anyone listening to this podcast, I wasn't like this when I first became a Christian. I wasn't like this in year five as a Christian. This this was a journey and a process. Yeah. And, and you know, God is still doing that work in my life. You know? Yeah. Anyway. For all of us. Are you writing a book now? It seems like you probably have enough I, I think to put down on a page. I wanted to write a book um, and I wanted to talk about the myth of self-love which I've talked about a lot on my social media. I think it's the biggest lie that we've ever been fed. And every time I hear a pastor say like self-love or anything related to self-love, I feel like he's been so corrupted and so misguided. Hmm. It sounds nice in context, but the ultimate problem with self-love is saying that the love of God is not enough. Right. Because we have to self-generate, right? <clears throat> and self-love is all about independence and self-sufficiency. I'm going to look after me. There is nothing about self-love that's biblical. And one of the most interesting things that I have conversations with Muslims, I love to talk to them about it, is when I say, okay, you're, you know, you understand God as one and that's it. There is one God, his name is Allah and there's nothing else. That He has no partner, he has no ally, he has nothing. It's just him. I go and I always ask him this question and I say, okay, before Allah created anything, what and how did he love? Stumps them. They don't know how to answer that. Well, uh, um, well, Allah didn't need to love. Oh, so your God isn't love? Because, and then I go. Let me explain my God. My God claims to be love, and let me explain how that works. The Trinity is where we get the foundation of community, relationship, and love. Those three things are the most powerful things we have in our world today. Everything that we do in our life will be will be around the ideas of community, relationship, and love. And my God was doing that from the beginning. With that, that whole, you know, and I think people trip up, especially the Muslim community, they trip up with the idea. But God can only teach us things with how what we can perceive in the real world, right? He can't teach us heavenly things that we've never seen before. So he has to kind of come down to our level. That father-son relationship is profound in this sense. You know, if I had a child and I was its father and, and he was my son, that is an unbreakable bond. No matter what I do in my life, no matter what I say, that child will always be my son and I will always be his father. It's unbreakable. And when you look at some of the stuff that Jesus said, you realize that it was a relationship of love. You know, Jesus makes this challenging statement where he says, the father is greater than I. And a lot of Christians trip on that because they're like, whoa, wait a second. What's Jesus saying? Is he like he's below the father? But what people don't understand is in a love relationship, you don't glorify yourself. You glorify the other. Jesus was glorifying the Father. So, of course, Jesus is going to say the Father is greater than I. And guess what the Father does? The Father is going to glorify the Son. So there's that exchange. 
your community relationship and love. That's the foundation of everything. Christian belief is the only one where that exists, where before God created a single thing, he was in a fully functioning community, a relationship that had love being shared between the different parties. You know, and that's, the, you know, for the Muslim people, that's what you can, you can say like, well, how do you define love without using your God? Right. He needed creation to even start to love because love is a two-party process. You know, right. There's, there, has, there has to be an exchange. So I think hmm. that's a kind of interesting thing when you kind of start digging into the, the deepness of Scripture. Um, you realize that you can start having more profound conversations with people to get them thinking. Yeah. I've never thought of it like that way, but that makes a ton of sense. The, the whole idea of love existing prior to creation. And it has to. Yeah. God it has to. defines love. So, so what's, what's the anti of that? Self-love. Right. Saying that I love define yourself. love. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can make my own love. I'll tell you one more story because I know I could talk all day, man. You're I could great talk at. all day. Yeah. So I'm doing this convention. Um, I'm in Belgium and um, I, I talk about this topic of self-love. And obviously, you know, you're talking to young girls and to um, people of the world who have only ever been taught that self-love is a real thing. It's important and we need to learn how to do it, Right. So people don't like this conversation and I'm talking to a thousand people and, you know, you can tell that there's a discomfort in the room because once you challenge their thinking, people don't like it because they're like, this is the system that I'm used to and this is what I've been taught and this is how I've been operating. So this young girl comes up in a wheelchair and she says to me, I believe in self-love. What do you have to say about that? Because, you know, look at my situation. I have to love myself. Yeah. And I was like, I could feel the tension in the room. Because everyone's like, do not take self-love away from this young girl. And I said to her, can I ask you a question? And she said, yeah. I go, do you believe in God? And she goes, no. And I said, okay, then you have to believe in self-love. Right. But here's your problem. You are always going to look at yourself as a girl in a wheelchair, just as the world looks at you. But my God, he doesn't look at you like that. He looks at you in such a different way. And when your love is not going to be a love, uh, enough, you're going to have nothing left. When your love fails yourself, you're going to have nothing. The advantage I have over you is that when, my, when, when I am not enough, my God's love is sufficient. So I don't need to generate it. This Dang. girl starts crying. Because I looked at her and I said, to me, I don't see the wheelchair. I see a soul. I see a value. I see a person who's created in the image of God. She starts crying. Yeah. And she comes up to me and she's tearing and and she says, You're right, you know, you know, even if I tried my best, you're right. Like, like I, I fail. And I'm like, self-love is a trap. Self-love leads to self-destruction. It's mm -hmm. the trick. You know, even in Jeremiah, God says to the Israelites, He says, You've created two great evils against me. You've rejected my living water and you've tried to create systems that are broken that can't hold their own water. Yep. And I think about that and I'm like, okay, wait a second. If I've rejected his water and I've tried to create my own systems to hold my own water, isn't that kind of like the idea of like loving myself? I'm going to generate it and I'm going to store it and I'm going to have it. And then people, you know, they'll always say to me, well, how, how are you supposed to love others when you can't love yourself? And I immediately say back to them, what are you going to love about yourself if you haven't loved others first? Hmm. What's the thing you're going to love? I like my hairstyle. I like, you know, how confident I am in the morning. Like it's, it becomes so selfish. Right. 
you know, and it's one of those things where I think like that's that's probably the conversation that I think the world needs to hear. Um, but we're living in a generation where love is key and, you know, truth has sort of become secondary. And we have this false belief that, you know, truth sits on a foundation of love and it couldn't be more wrong. Love has to sit on a foundation of truth. Truth has to come first. Yeah. I think you should write that book, man. <laughs> Maybe one day. You may, Maybe I mean, one day. Even if you sell one copy, I, I would buy it. Yeah. So I know, I, I know I've taken uh, a lot more of your time than I said I would, but uh, Nate Bozolich, uh, we didn't talk about a thing I planned on talking about. Do you want to get, do you want to knock him out? I'll, nope. I'll do like a. No, nope, because, because I think uh, this was a lot better than what I had planned. So I think people will get a lot more about this than talking about Deep Blue C3, if we're honest. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as we wrap up, is there anything you're working on currently, whether it be, uh, on the Christianity side of things or in the entertainment side of things that people could, uh, find, or how can people get in touch with you online? Yeah. Um, so I started a, like, you know, uh, I started a little clothing label thing, uh, called Palm Sundays. Uh, it's just, it was kind of like a little side thing. I, I kind of just wear all my, my Palm Sunday stuff, um, just because I wanted to wear some cool clothing and I'm, I'm using a little bit using a little bit of that money to um to help support um a couple of people in need which has been awesome and um you know it's it's you know it's one of those funny things man like you know I started this thing and you know to sort of just you know obviously you know right now it's a tough time so you know it's kind of like my only sort of income but I'm you know donating a percentage of the the profits that I make um to help people and I didn't want to tell people that you know I didn't want to because I just like I I had that whole thing I really listen to what Jesus says he's like don't let your left hand know what your right hand doing and don't you know go out yeah. and you know sort of you know proclaim your goodness so I right. I really try and keep it low key um because I want that to be between God and what he wants to do with this with this brand mm-hmm. um but unfortunately the world that we live in people are very very judging like oh yeah you know you're profiting off the gospel and you're making yep. money off you know off a christian label and I'm very I'm, familiar I'm, with the sentiment <laughs> yeah you would get it <laughs> I remember this one guy was like, you know, you call yourself a Christian and, you know, you're, you're making money off of people, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what, honestly, the first, the first round of um, profits, I think I gave it all away. I was just like, whoops, <laughs> you know? And I remember like yeah, this guy just came at me and I was just like, you know what, man, if you want to go get the money back, go ask all the charities that I gave it to. If you're that unhappy with the situation, you know? Um, so I've got that. It's called Palm Sundays. And it really was just kind of a thing that I wanted, like, you know, I wanted to start where I could just, wear things that reminded me of my God. I've got like a cool little um, hoodie coming out that just literally has the whole Psalm 23 on the front because I just, I've just been reflecting on it so much in this season of my life. So I was like, I just want to wear it. Yeah, it'll be cool. Um, And I also am trying to get back on track with my podcast. So I want to teach through the gospel of Luke um, and sort of really kind of work through that. I'm very slow at the moment because I've probably – not going to lie, probably in the probably the worst point in my life that I've ever been in for a long time. Um, mm. This is ground zero for me right now, so I'm kind of working through the emotion and overcoming that with God, and, yeah. and I'm going to be back on track pretty soon. Um, just learning some really interesting things um, about the Gospel of Luke, so I want to teach people through that. Um, I also have a podcast with um, a pastor of a church who's awesome. His name's Toby Logston, and it's called BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Okay. Um, I've, we've kind of been jumping on and having a couple of conversations. Um, so he's he's great um, one to listen to. He's currently teaching through um, the Gospel of John, um, basically, you know, five verses at a time, really deep, really in-depth. 
Um, but yeah, if you know, social media, I'm kind of like at Nate Byers and Palm Sundays. Um, and if you see me in the street and you have a biblically related question, hey, I'll try and answer it. Um, and the last thing I should probably bring up is as soon as as soon as travel opens up again, I'm going to be touring people through Israel. Um, it'll be uh, the next trip I have. I had 50 people planned um, this year that we're going to take them through the land and really kind of reveal the powerful uh, accuracy of the Gospels. And um, hopefully that'll get back on track once uh, all this COVID stuff sort of simmers down. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this one thing, man. This is this. I, I love talking about the Bible. This is the problem. You get me on a podcast, it's going to be hard to shut me up because I just get, <laughs> dude, I get so excited about scripture. And I just, like, like there's, there's little things where you just like, wow. if you read the gospel of Matthew, you'll see that Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount and it says he did it, he did it on a hill. But when you go to the gospel of Luke, it says he did it on a flat surface, right? So you go, oh, there's a contradiction there. Like the Bible, it's all just wrong and it's all inaccurate, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, no story fits in, you know, people kind of claim the falseness of it. Mm-hmm. Here's what's interesting. You go to the place where Jesus actually probably did the Sermon on the Mount um, and, you know, one of the most famous sermons that Jesus did um, in the Gospel of Matthew and obviously the the smaller version in Luke, what you realize is you have to walk up a hill and then you get to this flat surface. So both were right. And you're like, ah, okay, cool. That actually makes a lot of sense. I had to walk up a hill and then there was a flat surface where the acoustics is unbelievable. The last time I took my group there, I said, hey, someone's going to go wait down the bottom and they're going to listen to what I'm talking about. And they're like, oh, I don't want to miss out. I'm like, trust me, you won't. They went down there and they could hear everything clearly. And I wasn't speaking very loudly. Dang. It's amazing. And now here's the other thing. Last thing. I oh, do. I'm so sorry, bro. You're going to be like, I'm never having you back. And then no, you're not allowed to talk great. about. Yeah. So here's why you know, going to that place and and connecting the dots and the geography and, you know, the historical evidence and the biblical evidence all just kind of come together. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes down. Do you know the first person he's confronted by after after Matthew 5, 6, and 7? I can't say that I do. That's all right. It's all good. I didn't expect you to because I know when people do that to me, I'm like, uh, uh, Ezekiel? (laughs) No, no. Anyway, he's confronted by a leper, right? Okay, yeah. Now we read that and we're like, okay, Jesus is confronted by a leper. So he's just done the Sermon on the Mount and he's confronted by a leper. And you'll just read on. But here's what's fascinating about going into the land. He said, I believe that Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount where you walk up a hill and there's a flat surface. Down the very, very bottom is this spring. It's a natural spring. Now the Jewish people still go there today and they call it the Spring of Job. The reason they call it the Spring of Job is because from those water, all these natural nutrients are in the, you know, in the water that help for skin and it's really good for you. So they call it the Spring of Job because Job had skin issues. Yeah. Well, guess what? Both Muslims, Jews, all these people believe, and historical evidence says a lot of lepers during the first century would go down to those places to clean their skin, right? Because you got you would go to the place that would help your skin. So yep. the fact that Jesus was confronted by a leper immediately after doing the Sermon of the Mount where he heals him makes you go, makes us. oh, now I can geographically pinpoint where Jesus was. It's, it's wow. kind of that profound thing. So then you go back up to that mountain and you go, oh, the creator of the universe stood here and spoke to crowds and crowds of people. Whoever was paying attention that day, Let's hope they all were. But now I can listen to his ref- words, reflect on it, and look at the same view that Jesus looked at while he was speaking to the crowds. That's, That's wow. powerful, man. Yeah. It just it blows you away. It blows you away where you're like, wow, I am literally following him on this journey, and I'm looking out at the Sea of Galilee, and I'm like, this is, this is all too real. 
Yeah. And if this is real, then I have to start taking his words a lot more seriously than I have been. Right. So that's why, like, I totally need to go on that trip. But also yeah. the sinner in me is like, dude, uh, you don't really want to be, you don't really want to fully grasp how real yeah. real that is. Because if yeah. it is real, yeah, then your life yeah. should change or it should. It uh, does. Yeah. It, 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 you know what's going to happen to you? The same thing that happened to me. I start thinking about my flesh desires and then I start saying, wait a second, what's my, it's about my spirit. I got to start connect, uh, you know, flesh is death and spirit is life. And everything Jesus said was so true and so profound. And if I start really connecting with it, that's when all the pain, all the fear, all the anxiety, all the depression disappears because my God has got me. He is sovereign. You know, the reality is God's in control of everything. God's in control of some things or God's in control of nothing at all. Yeah. But being in control of some things doesn't make any sense to me. Like I, 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 could, I can take care of this part of your life, Nathaniel, but I'm not really focused on that. Mm, that doesn't sound like the God that's sovereign, right? God's in control of no things. Well, we as Christians don't believe that. So then you get to the place where like God's in control of all things. But how much does that change your day right now, bro? Well, I don't know what you're going through, the struggles you're having. But when you go, wait a second, if God is in control of all this, then all my fear and anxiety can really go out the door. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's right. Everything. Like even just the little stupid things we hold on to in relationships or little fights or problems that we think we have or money things. We're like, none of that is important. If God is in sovereign and control and it's all about his kingdom, his kingdom coming, then gosh, I should just start celebrating and being joyful and happy and excited about the next opportunity that God gives me to prepare the way for him, for someone else. Yeah. That's so good, man. Dude, thanks for sharing all that. I know, uh, you know, I imagine you're still, even though you're in Australia, not in LA, I imagine you're still freaking busy. So I appreciate you. Yeah. One, being so forthcoming and spending all this time with me at kind of a weird time of day for you. No, it's Um, good, man. I love so it. I'll uh I will make sure that people know to go follow at Nate Buzz and check out the podcast and check out the clothing company and your book that you're gonna write in the future that I'll gladly endorse. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, you know, for the seventeen listeners that I have for my podcast, I think they're gonna learn a lot. Good. And hopefully you'll get seventeen new devoted followers. So Nate Buzz, thanks again for coming on the pod, man, and, and for sharing all this wisdom, bro. I really appreciate it. I just, um, yeah, dude, I want to thank you for what you do. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoy your, your account. Um, and this is obviously the first time we've actually been able to chat face to face, which I'm, I'm happy about. Yeah. You were a mystery man to me. Um, and even though the mystery is <laughs> going to remain a mystery for everybody else, I, right, I'm kind you. of like, I'm in on the secret, but, um, I, I'm just grateful that you kind of have the, um, you, you were brave enough to have start having that conversation because I think it's a real conversation that we need to have um, and we need to keep people accountable, um, especially those who are bringing the word of God um, to the brokenness of this world. Um, there's there's no room for error when it comes to God's kingdom and we I don't think we can re, you know relax on these things or just go, oh, you know, that's just them. I, I think we all need to be accountable, um, myself included. And if I'm going to put myself through... Uh, that sort of scrutiny. I think that you know our leadership and those who are running a church need to have the same sort of accountability um, and responsibility to people who are really searching for the truth of Jesus, not the comfort of this world. Yeah, that's good, man. I, I appreciate you saying that. And yeah, it's it's been messy, but it's been fulfilling at the same time. So, uh, I mean, you have challenged me as far as my uh, devotion to reading the Word, and it's contagious how much you love it. And so, I, I think it's. Uh, 
it's motivating to me to go read more and understand why I believe what I believe. And I think that's yeah. what all of us need to do, put the actual work in. It's not a works-based faith, but it does benefit you to really dig into why you believe what you believe and the truths around uh, who our God is and what he can provide and you know how he is in control over everything. And he will use that. Whatever you give him, he will always use. You know, I remember, you know, studying through Exodus, you know, um, and every time I learned something in Exodus, I would be at a coffee shop in Los Angeles or something where someone would ask me a question that I would only be able to have the answer to because I studied that specific thing that week. And it was kind of those profound moments where I'm like, oh, God, like while I was doing that, I was like, no one's going to care you know like levitical law who's going to ask about the 613 laws of the jewish people Uh but then all of a sudden i start hanging out with orthodox jews and we start having some profound conversations about the divinity of jesus and i'm like wow god four years ago you made me learn this and now i'm actually using it you know so it's just one of those things man the more we give um the more he'll give us to to work with his kingdom and uh, you know that's where faith comes into play. You know, I remember a young girl came to me once. Sorry, bro. Oh man, I'm the worst. A young girl came to me once and she was like, I just don't feel what you feel. I don't feel, I've never really experienced um, that Holy Spirit faith thing, you know, where you really feel like God's in your life. Mm -hmm. And I asked her a simple question. I said, have you ever preached the gospel to anyone that didn't really know the gospel? No, not really. Have you ever tried to be different to every single person around you to represent the gospel? Well, no, not really. Well, then you're never going to experience it hmm. because we will never experience God's power unless we put it to use. It's just the reality. Yeah, that is you know? very true. It's like the difference between just kind of like living along as a Christian versus when you actually share your faith and the feeling afterwards saying like, oh, that yeah. was a very important moment in my life and probably yeah. their life. Yeah. Even though we, we're not saving anybody, God is the one that saves and he's the one that- He's given us that front row seat. Yeah. And it's, so, yeah, it's, I think it's, that's a really it's, good word. It's so enjoyable, man. You know, it's it's like going to – it's like I feel like I'm at a Lakers game and I'm watching like, you know, like just an all-star team play when I see God work in people's lives. I'm like, God, the way you coordinated that, I'm like, that was so good. I could have never guessed it, predicted it. All I had to do was show up and pay attention, you know. For sure. So, yeah, man, I would challenge anyone listening today, like, you know, dig deep. Dig deep and 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 just know that everything that you do, God will use if you're willing and faithful. It's like sitting in the exit row, you know. Before you take off, they're gonna someone's gonna come up to you from the flight attendants and say, "Are you willing and able to assist in the case of emergency?" And you have to say yes. Right. So God's kind of asking us right now. He's like, "Are you willing and able to assist in an emergency? Because there's an emergency that's gonna come in someone's life, and if you're willing and able, you can sit in this seat and you can actually pull that." that lever down so someone can see who I am. Yeah. You know, Christians, man, we're sitting in the exit row. We're just waiting. We're just waiting for that moment. We're like, okay, when's it coming? That's awesome. You're a man of many metaphors. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. It's the only (laughs) way you can connect with this generation, man. That's right. People need a story. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to the Preachers and Seekers podcast. If you didn't do what I told you to do at the beginning, head on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, leave a rating and a review and share it with at least one friend or enemy. Really appreciate all the support and everyone doing that. It's a huge help to me. Thanks so much for spending the time with me on today's episode, and be sure to keep an eye out for the next episode of the Preachers and Sneakers podcast. 
Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 